natural rights is what uh, formed the foundation of the United States and was also kind of a, I guess, a, a modern evolution, if you will, of natural law. Uh, and much like uh, the founding and, and enlightenment thought was a, reject, a rejection of uh, monarchy, divine right, rule, and such, uh, it also rejected most elements of natural law. Now, in the modern discourse, uh, conversations concerning things like rights, civil rights, uh, natural rights, political, social, we've, the concept has been conflated and expanded to incorporate just, just about anything somebody desires. They now refer to as a right. Uh, however, this, this is a very dangerous I guess, kind of social habit uh, that's been persisting for quite some time. Uh, began really in America with the rise of the Democratic Party in defense of slavery. Um, many other statesmen, uh, notably the Fire Eaters, Andrew Jackson, John C. Calhoun, and others, argued that to own slaves was a fulfillment of their natural right to property. Uh, but as we're going to discover shortly, uh, Slavery is antithetical to the natural rights doctrine, uh, presumably every way. Um, so natural rights, uh, one can extend this conversation all the way to Cicero, if not earlier. Uh, but for our purposes, we're going to address it specifically as it impacted the United States, uh, and especially the founding doctrine and the, how that influenced uh, civil rights in the country going forward. So first, just try. Let's, we need to develop an understanding, a definition of what natural rights are. And this this understanding changed throughout time. Uh, the first kind of leading uh, component uh, of natural rights is that it is largely protections against the actions of others. Uh, they are uh, especially uh, that of the state. So one of the hallmarks of a, of a of natural rights is that it requires nothing from any outside forces for that right to be exercised. Uh, clearest example, of course, is the freedom of speech. Uh, my freedom of speech does not require anyone else to do anything. But I also do not require of them anything to exercise uh, that freedom. So, for example, uh, my freedom of speech does not extend so far that my uh, microphone and uh, my headphones should be uh, provided for me at no personal cost to myself. Uh, the freedom of speech only means that it cannot be interfered with. So it is a protection from and not a guarantee for something, uh, which is vitally important to understand especially as uh, natural rights came to be conflated with positive freedoms uh, really heavily, especially during the progressive area, uh, era, early 20th century. Now, another component to natural rights is that it also necessitates an equal obligation. So, again, just following that same example of, a, of freedom of speech, I, myself, in recording this episode, I am exercising that freedom. Also, throughout me, uh, my exercising of this freedom, I am not impeding the capacity of anyone else 
to also exercise their right to speech in like capacity. So just as, for example, I have a natural right to life, as we all do, that means I'm obligated not to end the life of others. Uh, as I'm sure you're either aware of or quickly learning, natural rights are the foundation of uh, the legal system implemented in the United States, of course intermingled with Judeo-Christian uh, values and morality. Though those uh, derive largely from natural law as well. So what's interesting with the development of natural rights, we can really begin to think first a man named Thomas Hobbes. Now, Thomas is, Hobbes is really uh, popularized with his invention uh, of sorts of the phrase the federal leviathan. And that is a pertinent subject for natural rights. Hobbes differed from, say, Aristotle in that uh, more classical thinkers believed that mankind was on a journey, a perpetual journey of self-improvement in pursuit of things that are good, true, and beautiful. Which, although that should be the guiding principle for civilization and society, uh, human nature, as anyone is well aware, uh, does not abide by that system. So what Hobbes uh, posits instead is that mankind is on a perpetual uh, search essentially for two things. The first is to secure and expand power, and the second is to avoid pain uh, and death. Uh, and what Hobbes was trying to establish is something universally true. Uh, that is why someone who wants to kill themselves, for example, we recognize that immediately as being an indicator of someone who is not functioning properly uh, because that is contrary to the most basic human desire. And John Locke would uh, later advance on the same idea, which, uh, as is predictable, uh, he contributed uh, tremendously to the inculcation of natural rights into the founding doctrine. But what Locke presents is something a little different. Uh, he presents that, uh, you know, as, as opposed to uh, this this Hobbesian Leviathan, uh, he he posits instead that mankind can use these natural rights as a way to live life as a free and independent creature, uh, in observation with other people, other individuals in a free society all of whom recognize and observe the like action of these rights and others. So although it's largely kind of, well, maligned as this strange uh, individualistic uh, philosophy, which it is to, to a reasonable extent, it is a protection for the individual. And by protecting the individual from the infringement of those rights from others, uh, and most especially the government or the Hobbesian Leviathan, it is by extension, a guarantee for society. So taking uh, good care and respecting the rights of the lowest denominators, which is the individual, extends to the family, to the community, to the town, city, village, uh, county, state, country. Uh, so Locke uh, kind of describes, well, let's touch on Hobbes briefly first, how about? So when, when Hobbes discusses uh, this idea uh, about all men being in a kind of a perpetual undening motion uh, that didn't really have an intuitive end, but it was 
just seeking power and attempting to uh, provide material means with the least possible effort, uh, which uh, Frederick Bastiat touches on a little later on as well. Hobbes writes, So that in the first place, I put for a general inclination of all mankind, of a perpetual and restless desire of power after power that ceaseth only in death. And the cause of this is not always that a man hopes for a more intensive delight than he has already attained to, or that he cannot be content with a moderate power, but because he cannot assure the power and means to live well, which he hath at present, without the acquisition of more power. And hence it is that kings, whose power is the greatest, turn their endeavors to the assuring it a home by laws, or abroad by wars. And when that is done, there succeedeth a new desire, and some a fame from new conquests, and others of ease and sensual pleasure, and others of admiration or being flattered for excellence in some art or other ability of the mind. So Hobbes frames this perpetual motion as the securing of a desired position. But since your, your given status at a, at a time in your life is, is, is always subject to change uh, violently and abruptly, uh, that desire to maintain and protect and grow never ceases. It cannot because there is no destination. You never get to a point where you, uh, everything is a sure thing forever. As everybody's aware, uh, life can always change and always shock you. Now, applying this, this idea to uh, some of the founding principles as well, uh, one of the issues that arises is that issue of equality becomes a, a, a major uh, talking point, actually, of the slaveholding South, notably John C. Calhoun, uh, who attempts to argue against uh, the idea in the Declaration of Equality. And he does so by conflating equality with equity. So instead of just simply existing on an equal level, no caste system, no royalty, and possessing the same natural rights, uh, dissenters argued against a straw man, saying instead that it was trying to assert that everyone would have uh, the same uh, economic conditions and, and the like. Uh, an argument that's been revived heavily, actually, uh, starting in the Progressive Era and continuing to the present day. But one of the key principles to these natural rights is first understanding what is human, and also understanding that you can be equally human and yet still maintain inequality in a variety of other things. Um, so uh, Dr. Larry Arn uh, from Hillsdale College, he uses an analogy of a cup uh, to address this, which he, he writes about in The Founder's Key, which I would encourage you to read. It's a very short book, very concise. Uh, Dr. Arn has a talent for taking very large concepts and then just neatly packaging them uh, into simple sentences that are easy to understand. But if you hold a styrofoam cup and a golden chalice, they are both still cups. And in that respect, they are equal. And they are not equal in any other respect except for that they can function as the essence of what they are, which is a cup. Now, it seems maybe a little reductionist, but it truly is not. It extends perfectly to the human condition. Uh, we can all be equally human. Some are still faster. Some are still smarter, more ambitious, more talented. 
different health outcomes, uh, different socioeconomic backgrounds. There's even uh, massive variation between in families. Um, I'm two inches taller than one brother, and I'm six inches shorter than another. Uh, and that's coming from largely the same genetic stock. So the insinuation that natural rights or even declaration applies to some conflated sense of social equity is erroneous, and it's either an ignorant misinterpretation of the declaration uh, or just kind of a agenda-driven idea. Uh, or, you know, to adopt a principle of charity uh, may just simply arise from a misunderstanding of what natural rights truly are. So returning back to uh, kind of the larger idea of uh, Locke and how he uh, affected the the idea of uh, natural rights and how that applied into the founding. Uh, he he explains uh, how that is wrapped up into uh, political power as well. And he writes, and this is in his second treatise on government, which is a profoundly important uh, writing that uh, I would encourage you to read as well. Uh, to quote directly, he says, To understand political power right and derive it from its original, we must consider what state all men are naturally in. And that is a state of perfect freedom to order their actions and dispose of their possessions and persons as they think fit within the bounds of the law of nature, without asking leave or depending upon the will of any other man. A state also of equality, wherein all the power and jurisdiction is reciprocal, no one having more than another. Now, this is a very short passage and tremendously impactful, uh, especially the latter portion, uh, wherein all the power and jurisdiction is reciprocal, no one having more than another. This, that is the foundation of the American legal system, at least in theory, is that under the law, natural equality, legal equality, all, all should be treated the same. Uh, Locke also extends this a bit further. Uh, he likes to address uh, the nature of natural rights and really their essence. And he describes them, uh, and I'm quoting here, uh, the state of nature has a law of nature to govern it, which obliges everyone and reason, which is that law, teaches all mankind who will but consult it, that being all equal and dependent, no one ought to harm another in his life, health, liberty, or possessions. Everyone, as he is bound to preserve himself and not to quit his station willfully, so by the like reason, when his own preservation comes not in competition, ought he, as much as he can, to preserve the rest of mankind, and may not, unless it do excuse me, unless it be to do justice to an offender, take away or impair the life or what tends to the preservation of life, liberty, health, limb, or goods of another. And so there we have the most basic uh, reiteration of what natural rights truly are. And we can hear in that uh, echo of the Declaration of Independence, uh, the life, liberty, and the pursuit of happiness. And chief among uh, this, this, this understanding uh, Locke also uh, explains uh, that within this framework, then, it is right that men be restrained from invading the rights of others, from doing harm to one another. Uh, and it's for this purpose that he posits that government is uh, constructed among civilizations. And that is why the government is then empowered to 
uh, punish these decisions and these infringements, uh, and also to strip away uh, those rights from people who uh, infringe on the rights of others. So your right to freedom of locomotion and travel uh, ends when you murder somebody and you're imprisoned. Now you've been deprived of your natural right uh, to locomotion and freedom of movement. But that is a criminal consequence to you acting outside of kind of that social compact of agreeing to respect and observe uh, your obligations to the rights of others. Now, the chief among uh, natural rights, especially as it was introduced into the founding era, is property. Now, pro-slavery theorists uh, use this argument to claim the right and ownership of others, of enslaved Africans and the Amerindians before them. Uh, This is completely erroneous, obviously, uh, and antithetical to natural rights theory because your your first possession is of yourself. Uh, You possess yourself. You possess the products of your speech. That's where freedom of speech hails from. You you are in possession of your mental faculties and your intellect. That's where uh, copyright law comes from, intellectual theft and that kind of thing. And the founders understood that it was the acknowledgement and respect and impetus, really, for private property. Uh, That was the best way to preserve uh, natural rights in general and also as a way to define what it is to have a healthy functioning government. At its most basic level, the function of, the, of government is to protect the private property of others. That means your literal property, of course. That's why theft, burglary, and the like, fraud, uh, those are against the law. Uh, also, your intellectual property, again, copyright laws. But you also in, are in possession of your natural rights and yourself. And so the government has an obligation as an extension and uh, as, a, as a consequence, really, of being given the authority from those who have opted to allow its governance to protect those rights uh, from others. And so that provides a boundary uh, where you're protected and the government can also enact penalties uh, so that you know the whole concept of frontier justice is no longer a thing. Uh, and that's also why, uh, the, as societies decay, uh, law and order are among the chiefest uh, and earliest casualties of that decay. So natural rights, is, it's, a, it's actually a tremendously simple thing if you examine it in isolation. Uh, and it was very, very simple until the advent of positive freedoms became uh, kind of permeated into the larger discussion, largely in the progressive era, uh, though it began really uh, towards the... Uh, well, I guess truly with Calhounism and the Democrat Party and their insistence on slavery, but really became more pronounced during the Reconstruction era. So what's uh, interesting about the the concept of of property uh, is that uh, Justice Story uh, deals with this far later on, and it it really reinforces a lot of the... uh, understanding of the founders when it came to the importance of private property. And this was written in 1883. Justice Story is one of the most profound uh, jurists of the century. And he writes, 
But the exercise of a right is essentially different from the abuse of it. The one is no legitimate inference from the other. Common sense here promulgates the broad doctrine. So exercise your own freedom as not to infringe the rights of others or the public peace and safety. And he reinforces this with a Latin phrase that I am not going to attempt to uh, pronounce properly. But it translated, it means, use your own property in such a manner as not to injure that of another. So we just have a reiteration of this idea uh, that your exercising of your natural rights should not and cannot impact others and their capability of doing the same. So there's a kind of a simple process that you can go through to try to, I guess, filter if something really does qualify as a natural right. Uh, and, and just as kind of a sidebar, natural rights are also sometimes referred to as negative freedoms, uh, which contrary to what the name implies are good things. Uh, it's, it's difficult sometimes with uh, the uh, chosen language to, to accurately convey what they are. Um, so there's, there's really a few uh, basic tenets. So first, your natural rights or rational rights, negative freedoms, uh, they provide a protection from extrinsic forces, primarily that of society uh, and the government itself. Uh, and this is essential because the government is understood, of course, to be nothing more than a collection of flawed human beings. It's not an omnipotent Oz somewhere that is capable of, uh, well, that is sinless and blameless, let's say. Uh, another is that when you exercise a natural right, it does not require any infringement on the natural rights of others. Uh, using the speech analogy, me speaking does not prevent anyone else from speaking. Uh, if I'm someone who wishes to exercise my, uh, my right to free speech, I am obligated not to impede that ability for someone else. And another very interesting element, and this was highlighted in the language of the Declaration and the Constitution, is that natural rights apply equally regardless of any other factor. It doesn't matter your race, your nationality, your gender, uh, or any other uh, contributing factors. Now, of course, this is theoretical. We all understand in application uh, this becomes difficult, especially with when you incorporate the uh, many, many flawed ideologies involved in identity politics. And critically, natural rights are not given by government. Uh, it's crucial to understand in the founding that the Bill of Rights was uh, simply a guarantee or kind of a, uh, I guess, assuaging, if you will, of the concerns of some anti-federalists. Uh, it was not meant to be an exhaustive list of individual rights. So these rights are given to us. Some people get a little upset about it, but they're given to us by God, as it was uh, declared in the founding, or by nature. Either way, they act outside of human government. So that means that government and individuals should not be able to simply 
vote away or will away these, these natural rights. Now, this becomes very pertinent with the issue of slavery, and especially with the rise of Calhounism, the Democrat Party, who began to uh, attempt to use the concept called popular sovereignty, uh, which is just uh, a, a euphemistic way to describe a uh, direct uh, democracy or majoritarian tyranny as a way of expanding slavery into new territories. Uh, most notorious, of course, uh, would be the Nebraska Territory and the Kansas-Nebraska Act of 1854 and the subsequent events known as Bleeding Kansas, uh, which will definitely be the subject of a separate episode. So with this understanding of what natural rights are, when you examine this with the Declaration and the Constitution, the Bill of Rights, it's very clear what was meant to be protected. And it's also very clear that these protections were against uh, especially the government, but also individuals. And it's also very clear that they did not guarantee outcomes. The intent was to even the playing field. There was should have been no one who was granted any, any advantage over others, and most certainly not by government. Uh, so, of course, this calls into question uh, subsidies and the like as well. But for the founding era, uh, that was the... A governing principle and also was a massive and uh, effective tool in arguing against institutionalized slavery. And later on, these arguments would become conflated and distorted with the uh, advent of positive freedoms, uh, political rights, social rights, economic rights, uh, a litany of things that attempted really to transfer the symbolic authority and relevance of natural rights onto an ever-shifting, evolving, and changing concept, uh, which, of course, defeats their definition as natural rights. Uh, probably the like the ideals expressed in the Declaration and the Constitution, natural rights theory uh, is unchanging, timeless truth. Uh, your right, uh, for example, to freedom of speech, does not change based on the time period. Of course, this flies against uh, much of the modern discourse, which uh, argues that uh, morality and, and really objective truth is uh, irrelevant and non-existent. And everything just depends on those in power and the particular time period. Uh, but contrary to those ideologies, which believe that morality and equality and such things are the subject to government or collective public will, natural rights theory, and the founding doctrine... Uh, posit instead and insist that they are timeless principles that should be applied equally across all citizens. <laughs>